following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Glad to be here to be of service to you uh, through the preaching of God's Word. So I would like to ask everyone to please uh, uh, stand up as we read John chapter 17. So the Gospel of John chapter 17. Sorry. We'll start reading verse 1 and end in verse 5. After Jesus said this, He looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pray. Lord, give us a heart that submits and bow down to the authority of the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we do ask you to illuminate to us your word, that we may see Christ and we may find delight in the great salvation that you have given to us. You have graciously given to us. Continue to speak to our hearts, God, as we study your word and be lifted up. Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen. We can all be seated now. The Apostle John devoted five chapters in his gospel showing that Jesus comforted his disciples because of the sorrow of learning that he is about to leave them. That's why when you read John chapter 13 and all the way to John chapter 16, Jesus always reminds them that he is about to leave them. But basically, it's wonderful to know that Jesus assured them that he will be back. And Jesus also informed them that he will send the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, counselor. And Jesus talked to them about their eternal heavenly dwelling. So indeed, Jesus was a patient teacher before his disciples. Then chapter 17 comes with a shift from talking to his, talking, teaching, and encouraging his disciples. Then chapter 17 comes, he's now talking to his father. That's why I would like to remind everyone that Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 8 is not the Lord's prayer. Remember that the disciples approach Jesus and they ask him, Rabbi or Rabboni, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, 
And besides that, Jesus will never pray, forgive us from our sins, that we may forgive those who have sinned against us, because we know that Jesus will never sin. Right? So it should be, the Matthew chapter 6 should be our, should be titled our prayer, but John 17 is the Lord's prayer. And this morning, we will just cover the, the first part of what I call the Lord's prayer. And again, in verse 1, he said, When Jesus had spoken spoken these words, in the NIV translation, it says, After Jesus said this, that great shift from, from encouraging, teaching his disciples to talking, communing with, with the Father, has a great lesson for us. That there is time to fellowship with our brethren, but there should also be Time to commune with God, our Father. Okay? That's why when you go back to John chapter 15, it is all about watching our relationship with Christ. Actually, we cannot be in true, genuine, spiritual communion with one another if we are not first in communion with God. And the Apostle John emphasized this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, verses 3 to 4. And, and I quote, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship or koinonia with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Brethren, our communion is because of the cross of Christ. Your pastor calls it redemptive relationship. The way we connect, the way we relate to each other should be in the light of the gospel of Christ. Okay? We love one another because Christ loves us. We forgive each other because Christ forgave our sins. We forbear each other's frailties because that is how God treats us in the light of this redemptive relationship. That's why Paul penned in Philippians chapter 2 and encouraged the believers in the church of Philippi to have this humble attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. And we can read that from verse 1 up to verse 11. Let me say this. Humility breeds unity. I'll say it once again. Humility breeds unity. If there is no unity, surely someone is not acting in humility. I'll say this once again. If there is no unity... Or harmony, surely someone is not acting in humility. And this is very true when it comes to our marriages. Right? I believe the husband cannot uh, exercise the command of God to love your wife as Christ loved the church without humility. The same is true with wives. Wives cannot submit to their husbands if there is no Humility. Right? It's harder for us. I believe it's harder for us guys to exercise humility in marriage. Because we feel like that we are the lion in the family. 
But don't forget, who owns the lion? Your wife. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. But probably it's true. <laughs> Sometimes it's true. And it takes the grace of Christ, the grace of God, for us to walk in humility. I would like to ask the men in this church, the husbands, if you love your wife, please say amen. amen. I would like to ask the wife, it's your turn. If you love your husband, please say amen. amen. Who's louder, the wife or the husband? <laughs> Again, the, the wife can, can, cannot even submit to, to her husband if there's no humility. That's why I believe we all need the humility of Christ in us. We cannot produce that by our own. It takes the grace of, Christ, grace of God. It takes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to put a Christ-like humility in us. That thou, when... When we commit sin against God and against our wife or against our husband, we're humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I've hurt you. Right? And that is really exemplifying and exercising the gospel of Christ's message also in our marriage. Okay? There are husband and even a wife, and sometimes a wife, they find it hard to say, I'm sorry. They're also husband and wife. They find it hard to say, I love you. Okay? I would like to ask you, men in this church, when was the last time you say, I love you, to your wife? And wives, when was the last time you say, I love you, to your husband? And I believe that God is always saying, I love you, to us. Humility breeds unity. It also applies in our family. Right? Children, are you humble enough to obey, honor, respect your parents? See? If we want harmony, if we want unity in our marriage, in our family, and even in our church fellowship, like church gathering like this, the, the Christ-like humility should be in our hearts. Yeah, it's just, we should have time for one another, but let me just remind you, we should also have time with God. And the Bible says in our text, He looked towards heaven and prayed. That's what the NIV translation says. We usually praying, we usually pray bowing down our heads, but Jesus in this passage was looking up. There's nothing mystical actually on this, but it's a cultural, traditional thing. Right? Just like uh, Muslims pray in that way, in that manner. They will say their Salah in Allah. They will pray to their Allah. And that's at the God of the Bible, by the way. You know, looking up and raising their hands. And we are used to praying, you know, you close your eyes and you bow your head. But there's nothing mystical about praying heavenward like this. Okay, Because what matters in prayer is our heart. Because God looks at the heart and not just our posture. God looks at the heart. And the Bible says, He looked towards heaven and prayed, 
then that in the uh, uh, Greek exegetical rendition, it implies his longing to be with his father. Remember that since time and eternity, the father and the son were together. But because of the father's love towards sinners like us, they will be separated for a while, for Jesus will become a sin offering to bring salvation to you and to me. That's why when he was hung there on a cross, one of his seven last words in Matthew 27, 46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Labai Sabachthani. And that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this cry is a fulfillment of Psalms 22, verse 1. One of the many parallels between that psalm and the specific events of the crucifixion. It is difficult to understand in what sense Jesus was forsaken by God. It is certain that God approved His work. It is certain that Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing to forfeit the favor of God. As God's own Son, holy, harmless, undefiled, and obedient, God still loved Him. In none of this sense could God have forsaken Him. And yet the prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. Surely, He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are, we are healed. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, being, a, being made a curse for us. He was made a sin offering and He died in our place on our account that He might bring us near to God. It was this, doubtless, that intensified the sufferings and part of what Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the manifestation of God's hatred of sin in some unexplained way that Jesus experienced in that terrible hour. And the suffering He endured was due to us, and that is suffering by which we can be saved from eternal death. And then He said in our text, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. He always say those praise. The hour has come, the hour has come. And it means the time of his death. And he always say, glorify your son. What does Jesus mean by this? He's saying that, let your will be done. Magnify your salvation to man that through my death you will be glorified. Going back to the context of John chapter 13, verse 31, he said this, when he had gone out, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Verse 32 of John 13, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify, glorify him at once. The glory of God through the death of Christ. Verses 2 and 3 of our text since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And I like this verse 3. And read it carefully please. Verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Verse 2 emphasizes the great plan of salvation by His Father. He is the Lord of all. And it says, the Bible says, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. Let me say this slowly. Regeneration transpired because of God's election and continues its manifestation through the Spirit's work of sanctification. That's why verse 3, Jesus defined eternal life when He says that they know you, the only true God. That they may have a relationship with you. And that's the awesome beauty of eternal life that we should always find delight. What God did. That's right theology. Theology means theo, means God. Logikos means the study of God. But in the strictest definition, theology means God revealing Himself to men. That men might know and worship Him. Salvation is God's initiative. Salvation is God's work. That's why when that day comes, we will all shout from every nation, salvation belongs to our God. Right? And that spells the difference between religion and biblical Christianity. Religion focuses on what we do for God. While biblical Christianity says and focuses on what God did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That spells the difference. Worship is not about seeking God and singing for God, but worship is basically about acknowledging His revelation of who He is in our life, through the Scriptures, of course, and only through the Scriptures, and then we respond in worship and praise to Him. And, the, and Jesus says that they may know you, the only through God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He was talking about Himself, right? That they may know you, and He said, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let me ask you, I asked the first congregation, uh, first worship congregation a while ago, what's the surname of Jesus? Excellent. It's not Christ. We, we all have surnames, right? Every time I'm being invited to preach in uh, some churches in the Philippines, I ask this question. What's the surname of Jesus? And the congregation will say, Christ. In Tagalog, we have Filipino uh, brothers and sisters here. Anong apelido ni Jesus? And they will say, Cristo. Christ is not a surname. Christ is the title. The anointed one, the chosen one. That's why when Jesus says that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, He was talking about Himself. That's why there is no eternal life without acknowledging both the Father and the Son. There is no eternal life without acknowledging the sender and the sent. 
John 3.16. Do you know that verse? Of course you do. I know you do. It says, For God, the Father, so loved the world, that's us, sinners, that He, the Father, gave His Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth on Him, Jesus, shall not perish, but will have an everlasting life. We call that the gospel. We call that the good news. And we call that the good news because there's a bad news. That God is good and that God is holy and we are not. That God is good and that God is holy. Therefore, and He is just, perfectly just. That's why we are objects of His wrath. We deserve His judgment. We deserve His punishment. And yet, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, instead of punishment, He gave us mercy. Instead of judgment, He gave us grace. He gave us Jesus Christ, His Son. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 to 3, this is very important that we should acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. We should acknowledge that He became man like us. The incarnation, the incarnate, in Latin, carne, Latin, in the incarnation, the flesh. That, that God became man like us. And it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's a doctrine of the incarnation of the Son of God. In verse 3, in every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. This is vital. This is vital that there's no... Indeed, eternal life without acknowledging both the sender and the sent, the Father and the Son. Let's go back to our text in verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' prayer to his father was to bring him now to his death for the following reasons. Number one, to complete his work, to complete his mission. And this shows his obedience to the father's will. Remember that Jesus struggled doing the father's will. And it happened in the garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup away from me. And then he said, but not my will. Not my will. Let your will be done. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why to go back to be with, with the presence and the glory of the Father, that's what's his desire. That's what's his desire. 
And this shows his intimacy to the Father. And this was Jesus' joy that he mentioned in John 15.11 and John 16.24. In, in the line of this truth, let me share you quickly two things. Number one, the glory of the cross of Christ is the glory of God's sovereignty. It's all about God's sovereignty, especially when it comes to our salvation. Christ's death on the cross is not lost at all. But it declared victory. And Paul understood this well. That's why he penned this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. He says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And verse 57, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who can wash away our sins? Christ alone. Who can forgive us from all our sins and all the, all the evil within us? Christ alone. Who can restore our relationship with God? With this holy, righteous and just God. But Christ alone. That's why he said, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are saved. We are saved by works. But only by the finished works of Christ. Amen? As uh, the late Bishop Arsis Pro uh, said that, that we are only saved by the finished work, by the finished work of Christ. It is called the greatest miracle. God adopting us to be His own. What did we do to deserve such love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace? Amen? That's why we rest in the finished work of Christ. We glory in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I look like a good man? With all my, you know, beard and mustache. Because we'll be traveling to Mindanao, to the Muslim community by June. We need this, basically. <laughs> My wife hates this, but, you know, it's for the sake of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> Shall I say? <laughs> Shall I say? <laughs> November 14, 1983. Sometimes I forgot the birth dates of my kids. But of course, not the birthday of the owner of the lion, of course. My wife. Which will be coming this May 1st. But November 14, 1983. At 2 o'clock p.m., That is the date that the Lord found me. I will never, never forget that day. I cannot believe that a holy, righteous, perfectly just God will love a sinner like me. 
I'm into drugs, I'm into marijuana and cocaine that time. I hate my dad so much. I got this bitter anger against my dad. Even there was a time that he was drunk, sleeping drunk in our sofa, in our living room, and tried to end his life. I got this German lugger. It's a 38 caliber, right? Who I, I believe there are people like me who love guns here. I still love guns after this time. Uh, I tried ending his life, pointing this German lugger here in his temple while he was sleeping. I clicked the trigger. Nothing happened. Took out the magazine, clicked it once again. Nothing happened. The third time, uh, check it again. Then click it, but nothing happened. And I know that's the hand of God. I was not yet a pastor that time, just to make it clear. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a gang leader before. I'm, I'm not afraid to kill someone and to be killed because of that hatred within me. I grew up in a family of lawyers, modesty aside. My dad is a lawyer. My uncles are lawyers. My my granddads are lawyers. But I hate myself so much. I hate my dad so much. Tried every religion, even going back to Roman Catholicism. Took a 14 weeks catechism. Then I feel empty. Went back to our to the root of my family and my dad's side. I have a Muslim blood, Tausug, and that's in Basilan in Mindanao. And if you're a Filipino, you know that Tausug are the fierce warriors among the Muslim community, communities in the Philippines. Went back to study Quran with my uncle who's an imam. And then and go back to the study of Allah. But on our third week, I asked a question to my uncle Imam, who's an Imam, and he said to me, you're crazy. Go back to Manila. You know, if you're taking drugs, you know that, right? Who's who's taking drugs before? (laughs) You know, your mind is full of craziness, right? Then tried every other religion until someone told me, Jeff, you don't need any religion. There's no religion that died on the cross to save us from our sin. And there's only one man. And that man is the son of the living God. He became man like us to die on the cross. That we may be saved. And that we may no longer sin. And that we may experience freedom. Indeed, he didn't die there to start a religion. Indeed, he didn't die there to make himself popular or famous. He died there because that is the Father's will. That is the Father's will. That's why he prayed, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup away from me, but not my will, but let your will be done. In November 14, 1983, that's the time that the Lord found me. I'm never the same again. I'm not saying that I'm already perfect, because I'm not. The owner of the lion knows more about this. 
But thank God for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and to make us like Christ. We glory in the cross. We glory in the finished work of Christ. The second one, the glory of God displays in Christ's obedience. The glory of God displays in Christ's obedience to His will. Remember His struggle, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, not my will, but let your will be done. But he, Christ chose to glorify the Father through His obedience, even death on a cross. Let me say this, uh, beloved, that each time we obey His commands, we display the glory of God. Every time we, we obey His commands. That's why, husband, Every time you exercise God's commandment to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you display the glory of God. And wives, every time you you submit to your husband, you display the glory of God. Children, every time you obey, honor, respect your parents, you display the glory of God. Church members, every time you support, submit, and praise for your elders in this church, you display the glory of God. Every time we forbear each other's frailties, we display the glory of God. Every time we forgave each other's fault, we display the glory of God. But we cannot obey His commands if we are preoccupied by our own glory. We should learn to die to our own glory and live only for His glory. Especially in our generation, especially in our time, where selfies is a big thing, right? Where publishing or posting your achievement over the social networking site is a big thing. Even in this, even in preaching, even the worship team, if we are not careful, if we are just here for our own glory, that people will say, oh, he's very spiritual. Oh, he's, indeed, he's a godly man. Oh, indeed, he's a, you know, we can do good things for others just to impress them that we are an impressive Christian guy or Christian lady. It's so easy to be tempted to ride along with the glory that belongs to God. We should really be, be very careful in everything. That we need to make it sure that everything that we do is for the glory of God. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're about to end. I have this uh, friend, Christian friend, couples actually. Uh, the lady is a, a well-known dentist in the Philippines. Uh, he's a dentist of all the uh, great actors uh, and actresses. Miss Universe, Pia Wurzbach, something like that. Right? She's a Christian. But, but her specialty is on children. And her husband is a very well-known chef all over Asia Pacific. I think he's the president of the association of chef all over Asia Pacific. This uh, pandemic last year, 
the guy fell into sin. And uh, the friends of, the non-Christian friends of this dentist lady told her, get a divorce. You can live by your own. They have dual citizenship. They're Filipinos by blood, but they are an American citizen. So they have dual citizenship. There's no divorce in the Philippines, only annulment. But both of them are, have this dual citizenship. She can easily get a divorce. She can easily, you know, though her husband repented and asked for forgiveness, she can easily say, no, let's end this, right? And when we met a few months ago, I asked her, why did you stay in your marriage? And this is what she said. I want to glorify God in our marriage. See? Now they're restored. Now they're okay. The reason I'm there with them is to continually counsel them and guide them as they go through the path of restoration in their marriage. I want to keep our marriage not for convenience, but I want to keep our marriage because I want to glorify God. Every time we obey His commands, we display the glory of God. It's a miracle, actually. It's unusual, but it's a miracle. A well-known pastor in Metro Manila is is the pastor, the lead pastor of one of the mega churches in Metro Manila. They have thousands of members. And um, she's a Filipino-Chinese guy, married to an American, uh, beautiful American godly lady. And they have kids. And uh, the family of this pastor, about, I think, I think 15 or 20 years ago, they're one of the 10 most, 10 wealthiest family in the whole Asia-Pacific region. That's how rich this guy is, this fa- that, how rich the family of the guy is. And now he became a pastor. One evening, they went to a Bible study, uh, just, just near their village, and her daughter was left, at, was left home, in their home. And beside their home, there was a construction of a home, you know, there are carpenters there, plumbers and everything. And five of these guys broke into their home and raped her daughter. They gang rape her. It's a sad story, right? And as soon as they came over from the Bible study group, their Bible study group, they found out what happened. This guy can just hire, you know, can just hire easily 20 men, you know, to end the life of these five criminals. And yet they chose the right way. To make the long story short, these five were caught and uh, imprisoned. They went through tough times of healing 
and counseling with the daughter. And after a year, they decided to forgive this man. Not to release them in prison, but to forgive this man. So they went to the to that prison along with their daughter. They shared the gospel to these five men. Right? And the daughter even said to these five men who raped her, said, I forgive you all. I forgive you all. That's a miracle actually. The miracle of Christ's forgiveness in our hearts that we were able to forgive others. Right? And uh, among the five, two became, a past- two became pastors already. That is God's, ama- God's amazing work. I even told my fellow elders that may it not happen to me. May God have mercy on me that it may not happen to my only princess. We have only one daughter. And I really ask God, Lord, please don't let it happen to my daughter because I I might respond in a different way. You know? I have have gang members. Every time I visit them, they said to me, How are you, Kuya Jeff? Kuya Jeff um, in, in English means big brother. They call me Kuya Jeff. How are you, Kuya Jeff? And they will tell me, Kuya Jeff, if you want someone to, if you're planning to end someone's life, here we are. We're just a text away. We have, we have 20 plus, almost 30 gang members under me before the Lord found me. And most of them became Christians, but others are not. And those who became Christians, some of them even are pastors. That's why I even met one of them uh, years back. I know when that happens, if God will allow that to happen, I know His grace is enough to control my temper and, and, and to enlighten my mind and to, do, and to choose to do what pleases God to forgive as well so that I may display the glory of God. Again, my point here is Every time we obey His commands, we display the glory of God. If you think you find it hard to forgive your husband or your wife or your parents, look at the cross of Christ. It will remind you that God is a forgiving God and He will help you to forgive those who who hurt you. Last but not the least, I'm also being reminded by this uh, young lady. She, she got mar- she's a member of our church. She got married to a godly man from other church. And after the wedding, he, she approached me and said to me, Pastor Jeff, I still want to stay in our church. I still want to attend this church. And I said to her, I would like to remind you, dear sister, it's not our philosophy here. Your, your husband is, is serving the Lord in his local church. You better be with your husband and support your husband because we believe in the one flesh ministry. That's what we call that one flesh ministry. And yet, he, she asked permission to her husband if she can continue to give her tithes and offerings to our church. 
And the husband is gracious enough to say yes. You, may, you, you can do that. And even after this time, after 10 years, she keeps on sending her tithes and offerings. Especially when we have this uh, mission work in Mindanao, and she will learn about it in our website. She will just say, she will just message me, Pastor Jeff, I sent to the bank account of our church this amount so as to help you guys do church planting in Mindanao. And I, I asked her one time, why are you doing this? you have your own church? Why are you doing this? You can just give your tithes and offering to the other church and there's nothing wrong with it, sister. And she, she just told me, well, that's what the Lord is telling me to do, Pastor Jeff. And I'm much willing to obey Him because I want to display the glory of God. My friends, once again, we should die to our own glory and live only for His glory. I'll close with uh, two quotes, one from John Calvin, and the last one will be from John Piper. John Calvin said, and I quote, We never truly glory in God until we have utterly discarded our own glory. And of course, one of uh, John Piper's famous quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And Jesus was satisfied to do the Father's will. Jesus, during that time, was willing to surrender His own glory that the Father may be glorified. And the challenge to all of us, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whether you are in a range doing uh, some shooting, whether you are in a range doing your golf range, whether you are cooking, whether you are taking care of your kids, whether you are in your work, the Bible tells us whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, may we do all things for His glory. Let us all pray. Father, you are good and your love endures forever. We will be forever grateful for the cross of Christ. We are humbled, Father, on the truth of your election. And we are so delighted that we were chosen, we were loved, And we were even empowered by the great love, your unfathomable love, by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And indeed, it doesn't end there. After three days, you rose again. And the resurrection power of Christ, your Son, is indeed in our life that we may live our lives for your glory. May we always learn and be reminded to die to ourselves, to our own glory, and to live for you, that we may not just understand and know the gospel of Christ, 
but we may also live it in every areas and aspects of our life. Kutito, bless this church, bless Pastor David, and Jill, his wife, and the kids. Bless all the elders and their families. And let all the bond of peace be amongst them, God. Thank you for this loving, generous, humble church. And I pray, Lord God, that you will continue to bless them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.